I trust that you're having a good day, and I trust that you're having a good year as 2016 unfolds. We're already almost through the month of January. It's hard to believe that time just goes so quickly. I trust that you and your family are doing well, and I trust that things uh, spiritually uh, are doing well by way of your walk with the Lord. And if you're here for the first time this morning, we want to give you a warm welcome. My name is Pastor Gary Spikerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Parkside, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you have any questions or anything about the church that you'd like to uh, be aware of, there is a welcome center uh, there when you leave the building that you can ask any questions and get any information about the ministries here at Parkside. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons um, that I enjoy this time of the year is I enjoy the fact that uh, Christmas is over. <laughs> and I do enjoy Christmas. It really is a wonderful time of the year, but it's kind of nice to be able to put uh, the tree lights and all of the decorations and the tree that sits in the living room to put that in the box for the year and to know that it's, it's done. But Christmas really around our house is always a lot of fun. And one of the things that my wife thoroughly enjoys around Christmas, uh, it's all the lights. She's a light lady. She loves to have lights. In fact, our house, uh, this is not our house, but this is what it would, she would like to make it look like. Um, <laughs> We can put as many lights up as possible, and she would never complain. In fact, uh, the old house that we lived back in Wyoming, Michigan, when we lived there, we literally almost burned the house down one year because we had too many lights. Uh, it kept, uh, we turned down the lights, and we had lights all over the backyard, the front yard. The house was just filled with lights, and it kept tripping off the tripper, you know. The, the lights would go off, and so I'd go back there, and I'd trip it back on. And this went on for about three or four times, and eventually we decided we better not turn the lights back on. We had an electrician come out to the house, and sure enough, he said, you know, you're really, uh, it's really um, quite uh, good that you didn't uh, keep tripping that back on because you have wires in your wall that are burned, and they're seared, and you could have very easily burned your house down. And so we learned a great lesson uh, that Christmas, and that is that lights have a lot of power. And when you put them together, they can be together. They can make uh, for a dangerous situation. I'd like you to have your, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. This morning, we're going to look at one of the statements that Jesus makes about himself, where he's going to claim the fact that he is the light of the world. Jesus claims it, and it basically is an enormously dangerous and altogether radical statement that he's going to make. If you're here for the first time, we started a series a number of weeks ago entitled The Great I Am. We've been looking at different statements from the Gospel of John where Jesus makes about himself. A number of weeks ago, we looked at the statement, I am the bread of life. He basically said he is the substance for our soul. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at statements like, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of these statements that we find in the Gospel of John make a tremendous proclamation about who he is. The Jews, when they heard this statement, I am, they would automatically go back to their Old Testament history book of the book of Exodus. And there when Moses has the encounter with God, on Mount Zion, Moses asked the question, who are you? 
And God responds by saying to Moses, I am who I am. And as Jesus makes these proclamation of I am statements, the Jews would have perked up and would have recognized and realized that what Jesus was saying was much more than just words. He was making a proclamation of the fact that he was the divine God, the creator of all things. And so in these statements, we find Christ revealing himself to not only the Jewish nation, but also to the world. It's interesting that in the book of John, there are a cluster of verses that use the word light. There's about four different passages of Scripture in the book of John where we find cluster of verses that have the idea of light in them. And this morning, I'd like us to take a look at not all 23 of them. There are 23 times that in the Gospel of John, the word light is used. And we find clusters of this light theme in the Gospel of John. And we don't have time to look at all of them. But we're going to package them together to see how Jesus uses this theme of light in the Gospel of John. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. Alex read for us this great passage of Scripture earlier where we find that Jesus makes this proclamation that he is the great illuminator of all of creation. And that's basically the main thought that I want us to get this morning. The fact that Jesus, by making this statement, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the great illuminator of all things. And here we find in John chapter 1, the first cluster of verses that talk about light. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, Christ and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word. Skip down to verse 14, and we find that John will describe for us who the Word is. Who is the Word here? In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word here is Jesus Christ. So we could read verse 1 this way. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. He was with God in the beginning. So John, right out of the beginning of his book, describes for us the fact that Jesus Christ is eternal, and Jesus Christ is the Word. He has described for us what God the Father wanted to reveal, and it's one word, himself. And all of the books in all of the world cannot describe this one word, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, through him all things were created. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 5. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, 
the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. I want you to notice here in verses 6 through 9 the theme of light. John is going to describe for us the beginning of this theme of this light theme in the Gospel of John. Who is he describing here in verse 6 through 9? We find that John describes for us John the Baptist. It says there was a man who came from God. His name was John. That is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the one who was the illuminator. John the Baptist was a forerunner of the light. Remember that Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were cousins. If we go back to the book of Luke, we find out that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were related. And so there was a relationship, and we know that John the Baptist was six months in the womb of Elizabeth before Jesus was born, or there was a six-month period between them. Jesus and John the Baptist were of the same family. And because they were related, John the Baptist began his ministry to set the stage for Jesus Christ. He was the one that was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so John tells us here in John chapter 1 that Jesus Christ, or John the Baptist, was the one who is not the light, but he was the one that set the stage for the light. Jesus is going to describe his relative John the Baptist as one of the greatest men that ever walked on earth. It would be interesting to know the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus when they were boys, as they grew up, and as they developed, as they went into manhood. It would be interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's silent about that relationship, but we know that there was a, a relationship that they had together as, as cousins. And notice what John the Baptist says as he begins his ministry. Turn over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 27. John introduces himself to the nation of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 27. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Notice the three characteristics or the characters in this verse. You got the bride, Israel. You got the bridegroom, who will be Christ. And you have the friend, who is the friend to the bridegroom. Notice what John is going to say in the next verse. That joy is mine and is now complete. He's the friend to the bridegroom and is now complete that John the Baptist is hearing these words that Jesus Christ is now going to present himself to the bride who is Israel. And John the Baptist is the friend. And notice what he says in verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. The ministry of John the Baptist was there to present Christ 
to the nation of Israel as their Messiah, and now John the Baptist's ministry is going to decline as the ministry of Christ is going to accelerate. What a great verse for a way to live life. If you want a verse, a life verse for your heart, follow the example of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And we know the story of John the Baptist in the Gospels. We find out that John the Baptist will eventually be beheaded. He'll lose his life for the sake of following Christ. And when that happens, Jesus will step in and say, there is no one like John the Baptist. We find that he is not the illuminator. He is rather one who prepared the way for the light to come into the world. There's another cluster of verses that we find in the scriptures. We're here in John chapter 3. Go back to verse 19. Most of us are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16. It's the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the religious leaders of the day. And Nicodemus could not understand the spiritual language that Jesus was speaking about. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus thinks that he has to crawl back into the womb of his mother to be born again. And Nicodemus missed it. He didn't see it. He was blind to the fact that he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And then in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now look at verse 19 because here's where this cluster of verses about light comes together. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, Nicodemus, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the verdict, Jesus says. Light has come and darkness doesn't like it. Notice what Jesus says here that when light comes into a person's life, darkness flees. And what does light do? Light reflects and illuminates and shows what's there. When we live in darkness, when we live in sin, we don't want people to turn the light on when we're doing deeds of evil. <laughs> we want to avoid the light. When our kids were very young, Michelle was about four years old, and Kevin was about three years old. And they had a tape uh, that they were listening to. This was back in the olden days, where they listened to, to tapes. They had a salty kids' praise tape that they were to listen, that they could listen to. But we had a tape recorder in their bedroom that they were not supposed to touch the buttons because they knew that if they touched the buttons, they might damage the tape. They might tape over it. 
And sure enough, we're going down the road one day with our kids in the back, and we're listening to this praise tape. Kids are singing salty songs, lots of fun, right? And all of a sudden, the tape turns to a different channel. And all of a sudden, Michelle and Kevin are talking to each other. Yeah, push this button. Yeah, try that one. Michelle was the oldest one. Kevin was the younger one. And he was always getting in trouble because Michelle was always prompting him to do what he wasn't supposed to do. Here on this tape, we're sitting here listening. And as I look at my wife, I'm kind of grinning. I don't want the kids to see the the grin on my face. But we could tell that the kids behind it, they were really nervous because their hand was caught in the cookie jar. We were listening to their conversation on the tape. And you could, it was just, it was beautiful. Because here they are, they're trying to avoid being caught, and they're caught red-handed. The light is, is showing exactly what they've done. They've touched the buttons, they've taped over the tape, and as I looked back, I said, Michelle, and just that tone of voice alone, she knew she was in trouble. Because she was caught doing something that she wasn't supposed to do. And light revealed it. Notice in this text here that light illuminates and people avoid the light because their deeds are evil. I don't know if you've seen the, um, the commercial of the Geico commercial where the deer are having a party out in the pool and they turn the light on and all of a sudden everyone freezes and the deer stop, and they're looking around. The lights go off, and you hear the deer having their party. They're jumping into the pool. They're doing things. The light turns on, and they stop. They freeze. Light reveals to us what we're not supposed to do. And notice what Jesus says. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It's not even that we don't like it. We hate it. When light comes in and shows us our evil deeds, we despise it. We avoid it. We want to run from it. And like deer that are caught doing what they're not supposed to do, or kids caught with their hands in a cookie jar doing what they're not supposed to do, we want to avoid it and we want to run. Light reveals to us the truth of who we are. When Christ comes into our life, What do we want to do with Christ? Push him away because he reveals truth. Jesus is going to say, no, don't push me away. Let me come. Let me come into your life. Because notice the next cluster of verses that we find in the book of John. Turn over to John chapter 8, and here's the statement that is made here in John chapter 8 that is dynamic in that Jesus is going to make a proclamation about himself that is going to be dangerously, dangerously significant in what he's going to say in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus Christ claims himself to be the illuminator. He is the light. 
I want you to notice in John chapter 8, verse 20, where he speaks these words. Skip down to verse 20. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because of his time had not yet come. Jesus is making this statement in the section of the temple that was known as the temple where the women, it was called the the area of the women. We know that because in this area is where the offerings were collected, and this is where Jesus is standing. He's standing in the temple area where the offerings were taken. It's interesting that every year the Jews would celebrate this festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths. And what they would do is they would celebrate three things in this celebration. Number one, they would celebrate the fact that God provided manna for them in the wilderness. They also celebrated the fact that God provided water for them in the wilderness. And the third section of this celebration was the fact that God provided light for them in the wilderness when they came out. You remember when they left Egypt? What guided them at night? There was a fire of light. And at day there was a cloud of light that for 40 years this light was seen by the people of Israel. During this festival of tabernacles, they would celebrate the fact that Jesus, that that, that God provided manna and water and light during their journey from Egypt to the promised land. Notice also in verse 12 that it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people. Why does John say again? If we go back to chapter 7, verse 37, we find the last statement that Jesus makes that I think is a connection here. Look at chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I believe that these themes are connected. And the passage that we have here in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, many believe is a section of material that was inserted into the text. So what we could do is we could take chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, pull it out of the text, and read the text from chapter 7, verse, what, 52, to chapter 8, verse 12, and you'd have that connection. Here's the theme. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, and I am the substance for your soul, bread and water, and I'm also the light. He just took in these two statements, he just took their celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, he packaged that all together, and he said, I'm the one that can do all three. And they should have stepped back and said, what is this man claiming about himself? In the Greek, it's interesting that in chapter 8, verse 12, it's a double negative where he basically says, I am the real light of the world. It's very unique in the Greek to have a double negative. I am the real light of the world, which was very uncommon to speak that way or to say that in the Greek language. Jesus makes this affirmation, and it was deeply written in Old Testament scriptures 
that the Jewish people should have perked up and said, what is this man saying? There are Old Testament passages of Scripture that verify that the Jewish mind thought of God as light. For example, in Psalm 27, verse 1, the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Because he's of the light, I have nothing to fear. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Job chapter 29, verse 3. When his lamp shone on my head, by his light I walked through darkness. And Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. These are just a few Old Testament scriptures that the Old Testament Jews, when they would read these passages, they would have seen that God is light, and as Jesus comes into the world and makes this statement, they should have said, who is this man? I want you to notice also that he is making this statement, verse 20, as we've already read, in the temple near the place where the offerings were put. In this area um, of the court of women, the celebration that they would celebrate would be called the illumination of the temple. And what they would do is they would take at the end of the ceremony of this feast, they had four large uh, candle operas that they would light in the court of women. And it would illuminate the court of women. And when Jesus makes the statement, he's standing in the court of women with these lights beaming, and he's making a statement to the Jews, I am the light of the world. It was in this plate of the court of the women that they would have offerings. There were 12, 13. There were 13 different boxes that they put offerings in. In fact, they called it the trumpets because what these boxes look like is they look like trumpets. If you can take... And imagine for just a moment, take this trumpet and enlarge it to be a large box that would stand about this high, and it would be forced out at the bottom, and this room was called, uh, it, was, it was entitled the Illumination of Lights, and it was here that they would drop in their offerings in these 13 boxes. In box number one and two, all of the Jews would put a half of a shekel into every one of these jars when they came into the temple. They were commanded to put a half a shekel into the trumpet one and trumpet two. In trumpet number three and four, they would put offerings in there that they would purchase uh, pigeons that they would use as women offered for purification after the birth of a child. In the trumpet number five, they would put offerings in there to cover the cost of the wood for the temple. In trumpet number six, they would have an offering that they would take for incense. In trumpet number seven, they would put offerings in there to cover the upkeep for the golden vessels. In trumpets number eight through 13, these were extra trumpets that they would put offerings in, and these were offerings above and beyond what they were commanded to give. This place that Jesus makes this statement 
is a place where Jews would come in every day and they would drop in their, their pennies or their shekels and they would put them in the temple here in the trumpets. That's what they were called. This location that Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world, was filled with all kinds of Jewish innuendos that the Jewish mind should have said, who is this man? I am the light of the world. In this statement that he makes here in John chapter 8, verse 12, he basically is saying, he's making a Christo-exclusive claim. That is, he is saying, I am exclusive above all others. Jesus Christ is making a claim above all other religions. He is excluding all other religions. He is basically saying, I am the one and only one. And it's very exclusive. He's not going to allow any other religions to stand. He is light. He reveals himself as light. And as he comes to the world, he is light. And basically, he's taking all of the other religions and all of the other belief systems that the Jews, can I also include the Gentiles, and he's basically saying, I am the only one. And today in our culture, that is completely, completely politically incorrect. When you make that statement today, because what religions want to do today is you can be whatever religion you want. That's okay. But just take all the religions, and we can include Jesus Christ with all of them. Let's just include all of them, because that's okay. That's what we're supposed to do. It's okay if your religion is right, my religion is right. It doesn't matter. Let's put them all together, and Jesus Christ is saying, no, you can't do that. This is from his words, not from mine. He's basically putting himself above all others, and he does claim himself to be God, whether he is or not, that's something you and I have to decide. Are we going to say yes to him or no? So he's very in exclusive here when he makes this statement. But he's also in the same breath when he says, I am the light of the world. He basically opens it up to the whole world and says, Christ is inclusive of all people. And he's inclusive of everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Here's where we get in trouble. We get in trouble with the idea of exclusiveness and inclusiveness, and we turn those around. We say all religions are inclusive. We can't exclude anybody. And we get these two concepts turned upside down, and Jesus is saying, I am. I'm going to exclude all others, but my exclusion comes at the result of giving myself to the whole world. I am the light of of the world. So you and I are included in that statement. You and I have the opportunity to come to Christ. We have that radical opportunity to come to one who claims to be God, and he is. And friends, I believe that this is a radical inclusion of everybody, red, yellow, black, white. It includes everyone. When we go to Disneyland, and we go through that one ride that my wife always wants to go through because she's a Disneyland lover. We go through, it's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. And when you get done going through that, that song is stuck in your head for the next week. Can't get it out. And now you're going to be singing it. 
It's a small world after all. And all of those nations are singing the same song, but all of those nations, all of them have the opportunity to come to Christ. That's the inclusion of the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a powerful statement of who he is and who the world is. He's light. We're darkness. He's come. Believe on him. And that's what he's going to say eventually. And then we're going to find that what Jesus is going to do in John chapter 8, he's going to have this conversation with the Jews. There's going to be tension that the Jews are going to have. In fact, they're going to eventually say in John chapter 8, they're going to make the claim that he's demon-possessed. Jesus is going to say that they were, they were of the devil. And those are some of the words that he gives to the Jews there because they were not followers they were followers of the devil, and he says that to them in John chapter 8. So there's some exchange here in the rest of the passage where Jesus and the Jews are at odds. And then what Jesus is going to do in John chapter 9, turn over to John chapter 9. Look at what John is going to describe here for us. In chapter 9, we don't have time to read the whole thing. Jesus is going to heal a man who was born blind. In John chapter 9, verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent him. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, what does he say here? I am the light of the world. Then what does he do? He takes this man that was born blind and he heals him. Remember that the Jews require a sign. What was the, what was the miracle that Jesus did when he made the proclamation, I am the bread of life? He fed almost 10,000 people. Jesus' teaching is always looped or connected with a sign. Here's the sign. Jews, you want a sign? He takes a man that was born blind, and he gives him sight. And all of chapter 9 is the tension about this man that receives his sight. And the Jews come to him and say, are you the man who was born blind? Yes, I am. Well, give testimony as to what happened. This Jesus, he gave me sight, and, I was, and I'm now able to see. And chapter 9, you read the whole thing, you find out that there's some tension that the Jews have. You know what? You really weren't the man. You're just making that up. Yes, I am. Here's my parents. You want to talk to my parents? Mom and dad, is this your son that was born blind? You bet it is. And there's this conversation that Jesus has with these, with these Jews about who this blind man was. Is this really the one who's born blind? Look at verse 34 of chapter 9. Here's the conclusion that they gave this man. The Jews said to him, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You get the tension? They didn't like what they were seeing. They didn't like what they were hearing. They didn't like the whole thing. The Jews were nervous because Jesus made this proclamation. Which leads us to the fourth cluster of verses in the passage. I'd like you to look at verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus has a conversation with this man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, 
he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. What? Verse 39, what? For judgment I have come into this world. I thought you didn't come to judge the world, Jesus. That's what he said in John 3.16. I didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But there is a judgment coming. I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What Jesus is saying here is that if we're blind to our sin, and how do we know that we're sinners? We allow the light to come into our life. And when light, Jesus Christ, comes into our life, into our world, he reveals who we are. And we do one of two things. When we're introduced to Jesus Christ, we either run from him because we know that our deeds are evil and we don't want to be exposed, and so we run the other way. And what Jesus says is you're still blind if that's the state that you're in. Or if you come and believe in me, you'll have sight. The blind man had physical sight at this point, but he was blind spiritually. And the eyes of his heart were opened when he put his faith and his trust. And the Bible says here in verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. That's all it required. What do we believe in? We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he became sin for us. And when we do that, the scales are removed and we now see spiritually. Until that happens, we spiritually are blind to what's around us. Not only to who he is, but can I also suggest also to how we should live. Because when we live in darkness, if we're still in darkness, we embrace the darkness. We don't even know that it's wrong. Until light is turned on and reveals to us the truth of our sin. Are we blind? Or can we see? And this man not only was healed physically to see, but I believe he was also spiritually touched by the Spirit of God, and he believed, and he became a follower of Christ. Turn over to chapter 12. There's one last cluster of verses, and we'll end with this because this is kind of the conclusion of what Jesus says here when it comes to this theme of light. John chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. Skip down to verse 49. Skip down to verse, I'm sorry, verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, 
Verse 44, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. God does not want us to stay in darkness. He has revealed his son to us by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That light comes in, and when we believe, we become sons and daughters of light. This same theme is picked up by the Apostle Paul. Turn over a couple of pages. Turn over to uh, Paul's writings and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what Paul says about this theme of light and darkness. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the light For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We as believers are light in this dark world. As we allow the light to come into our life, we expose the darkness. That's why the world doesn't like us at times. That's why they will hate us, because the light reveals the darkness. Turn over to one last passage of Scripture. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Paul says it this way after this great chapter of Christ illuminating himself as the humble one in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That's what we are. We are light. We are stars of light who, uh, who believe in Christ as personal Lord and Savior. The light comes into our life and now we reflect the light. How much light, believer, how much light is reflecting out of your life? Where do people see Christ's likeness in your life, in my life? As we allow Christ to become part of our life, we reflect his very likeness. Are you lit this morning? Are you living in the light? One of the things I love to do at night on a good clear night, and these last couple nights there hasn't been a cloud in the sky. You go out, you look at the stars, and when it's really dark, it's been full moon the last couple of nights, you take the moon away, it's a really dark night, there's not a cloud in the sky, sky, and the stars just pop out, and you see that beautiful lit sky of stars, that's what the world is with believers today. Christ is the light of the world. Do you know him? Have you come here this morning?
outside of Christ where you haven't believed. The blind man believed. There are some that believed in the gospel, and there are some that didn't. There were even some religious people that didn't. How do you, how do you perceive Christ this morning? Have you taken that step of faith? If you're here this morning and you're five, six years or older, you understand, I think, what I'm talking about. The gospel is as simple for a child to understand. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you're five or six or 10 or 20 or 80, have you taken that step? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins? Anything other than that is going to be empty. Come to Christ, believe on him, put your faith in your Christ in him, put your faith in your trust in Christ this morning. If you haven't taken that step of faith, I offer to you this morning the light of the world. He is the illuminator for your soul. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in a word of prayer, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege it is to be lit by the light of the world, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that he came into the world and he excludes all others. We recognize, Father, that this statement is a dangerously radical statement that he makes, but it is dangerous because if we don't believe, there are consequences of unbelief. So, Father, give us that faith to believe. I pray for any person here this morning that has not taken that step of faith, that today would be the day that they see him fully as their Lord and Savior, and that they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they put their faith and their trust in him. Father, may today be a day of salvation for anyone here this morning that has not taken that step. Father, confirm in their heart that they're a child of light, that we leave here, that we might reflect now in the way that we live, the things that we do and say and attitudes. And pray, Father, that you would receive the glory and the praise because of your Son, the light of the world. Thank you, Father, for what he has done and continues to do. And we give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.